Hey, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. It is now Wednesday, March 18th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball podcast. As you know, the NCAA tournament is officially underway, but at this moment, completely overshadowed by the developments at Syracuse. If you missed the news, here's the news. Athletic Director Daryl Gross, he is out, and the school has announced that Jim Beheim, the men's Hall of Fame basketball coach, is going to retire after three more uh, seasons. So to bottom line it for you, uh, the man who oversaw the man, who oversaw the basketball program that operated in violation of NCAA rules for the better part of a decade, he's got to go right now, uh, while the man who actually oversaw the basketball program, directly oversaw the basketball program that operated in violation of NCAA rules for the better part of a decade, he gets to stay three more years before retiring, uh, presumably outside of the shadow of this NCAA investigation that hammered the program earlier this month. Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini, they're both here with me. Norlander, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on the developments out of Syracuse today? Yeah, um, well, we got a few. Uh, the first is the timing of this. Obviously, it's, it's no coincidence. I think uh, it was... I wasn't expecting it, to be honest, to happen here. I did think Gross was going to be removed from his post and not be there at the start of the next academic year. Uh, I didn't think it would happen this fast, um, and I didn't think it would happen as we were in the throes of the NCAA tournament, but we get there, um, so that happens, and so we go, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of AD uh, Syracuse can lure, because it is a, a, a good job, relatively speaking. Bayheim, the three years... Our Dennis Dodd goes, he tweeted this. I have to share this because I love Dennis. He goes, it's not a retirement. It's a behind farewell tour. Garth Brooks thinks this is drawn out. And he's right. I think this is a record. I can't ever remember a coach having a three-year premature announcement to a retirement. Um, to me, that fully indicates that this was a negotiation. I do not believe Beheim wanted to stop coaching uh, in the year 2018. And I think that Syracuse powers that be that are above him. Uh, told him that this had to happen, that he had to, for the sake of the program, for the sake of the school, uh, and the long-term outlook of Syracuse basketball, he needed to give something of a definitive timeline to sustain the relevancy and success of Syracuse basketball going forward. So that's why I think this happened. Um, you guys can hit on the Hopkins angle, Mike Hopkins, the coach in waiting, what will happen with him. That certainly is a very interesting subplot because um, the program itself, to me, is very similar to, to UConn. It came out of nothing. Jim Calhoun built UConn out of nothing, some, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Beheim built Syracuse practically out of nothing, not quite in the middle of nowhere, but obviously central New York, which gets lake effect snow and is uh, cold eight months of the year, is not easy to recruit to. So what will Syracuse be beyond Beheim? I think that all goes into it. Um, but I will also say this is the dominating news story on Wednesday. Uh, and by the you know, 24 hours from now when the tournament gets going, this will be just, you know, simmering on the back burner, even if that. A couple of things real quick. First off, it has to be a negotiation on some point. I mean, Jim Beheim less than two weeks ago, was telling boosters, I'm not going anywhere. So, like, to, to you know, I believe it's 12 days later, uh, announced that he'll be retiring in three years. Like, this wasn't, I know this, the chancellor, in a letter posted earlier today, uh, said, you know, this is Coach Beheim's decision, but I, I don't believe that any more than I believe most of the stuff that's been coming out of Syracuse lately. Um, it was negotiated on some level. I, I imagine just too powerful to fire on some level, but this is a way to at least bring some sort of closure to the Jim Beheim uh, regime. The other thing I would point out is that you know the, the future of Syracuse is very much uncertain, whether it's Mike Hopkins or somebody else. Um, 
you know, it's going to be difficult because as you highlight, Norlander, that, you know, Jim Beheim built this out of nothing and it's in central New York and there aren't players, you know, typically right around. How do you lure, you know, basketball players to central New York? A lot of that was the uh, the, the the program that Jim Beheim had created. And I'll just tell you what other people in basketball have been saying, you know, or at least whispering. How do they do it? They've been cheating for the better part of a decade. That's how they've been doing it. Like, you know, so like uh, if you've got to replace an icon, continue to run a Syracuse basketball program at a high level, you know, in, in a in a place where it doesn't obviously make sense for an awesome basketball program to be and you got to operate within the rule structure like good luck right and so whether it's Mike Hopkins or anybody else going forward it, it's going to be very difficult um, at, at Syracuse uh, Sam I want to ask you this uh, how does this affect recruiting we typically hear um, you know hey one more year of this coach and it's over uh, three years is, is certainly extreme maybe unprecedented and though Mike Hopkins is still at this moment believed to be the quote coach in waiting, I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, you know, that he's going to, you know, everything that was negotiated between Mike and that university was negotiated through Daryl Gross, who's no longer going to be the athletic director. You know, I, I'd be surprised on some level if a new athletic director um, was, was absolutely willing to sign on to this. Keep in mind, this is a school that quite clearly is removing, on some level, the two most important figures from uh, from the Jim Beheim regime. That's Daryl Gross and Jim Beheim. And so really, you're going to move forward with somebody who worked directly under Beheim for so many years? I'm just not certain. I, I hope for Mike's case it's true because he's passed on other opportunities uh, to remain loyal to that school. Uh, on a personal level, I like Mike. So if Mike can be the head coach at Syracuse someday, I got no issue with that. But is a new athletic director at a school that's clearly trying to break ties after this NCAA investigation is a new athletic director going to sign up for that? I'm just not sure. I don't think anybody could reasonably be sure at this point. Either way, Sam, you tell me, how does this, uh, in the immediate future, affect recruiting? Because you've got to imagine any program recruiting against Syracuse is going to say, really? You're committing there to go in the ice and snow and play for, oh, yeah, you have no idea. You have no idea who you're actually going to play for. That's what you're signing up for? Okay, sure. Like, I just, this is... This though this brings closure on some level, it it creates so many other questions that can't be answered intelligently. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I don't think there's going to be a major immediate impact on recruiting because I think that most kids that Syracuse is trying, like they're trying to lure at this point, um, they probably think they're going to be gone in three years anyway. So I don't think that there's going to be a big deal like with this year's recruiting class. I don't think you're going to see a mass exodus whenever uh, Bayheim announces this. I don't think that anyone's going to like decommit. But next year, you're going to have some problems because you're going to have, most likely, the sanctions coming into play. So you're going to have less opportunity to go out and nail recruits, uh, just nail like the actual process of getting these kids in and getting the right kids in. Um, and then on top of that, you have this uncertainty with the direction of the program, the stability of the program. You know, if they're sure that Mike Hopkins is the guy, and I'm sure that they're going to wait until they hire an athletic director to make that uh make that decision you know i think they should announce it as soon as possible and make sure that there's stability on the recruiting trail stability throughout the entire organization and 
I, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's it's really tough to say right now. Just well, I agree in theory with you. Like if you could announce tomorrow morning at some press conference. Yeah, no, Mike, no, no. You but here's the well, here, you can't do yeah, that. Though, here's the problem. The the new athletic director is going to come in and have to answer that exact same question. The new athletic director won't be hired for a while. So even if exact, Syrac- yeah, yeah, right. So if even if Syracuse tried to bring stability by saying Mike Hopkins will replace Jim Beheim, other schools recruiting against Syracuse are going to say the person who told you that ain't going to be in charge a year from now. They don't even know who their athletic director is going to be in a year from well, now. No, they that, couldn't possibly – yeah, right, right, right. My point is, like, you wait until – I assume that by the end of the summer, Syracuse is going to have an athletic director sure. in place. So as soon as they can announce – like, if they're sure that Mike Hopkins is their guy and the AD meets with him and he's cool with Mike Hopkins taking over, they want to announce that as soon as possible. Sure. They want to make sure that there's stability of some sort throughout that program. And if Hopkins isn't the guy, that's going to – there are a lot of questions about whether or not that's even a good job to take over. Because like you said, that's central New York. That's not necessarily a fertile recruiting ground. That's not necessarily a great place that recruits are going to want to go. And you have to follow a legend in Jim Beheim that's leaving under less than great circumstances. Plus you have fewer scholarships uh, because they're, they're uh, whatchamacallit, they're extending out the scholarship uh uh, penalty into two years after Bayheim leaves, most likely. So that's not going to be a not going to be a job that people are banging down the door to get. Like you're you're probably not going to be able to get like a Shaka Smart, like someone. No, uh, no chance. Me. Someone tweeted at me. Uh, you know, yeah, I think we get like someone like Shaka Smart, and I'm just like, no the way, zero, the zero. Because like, yeah, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, the questions were okay. When they're trying, I like I actually wrote a column about this. Like when they try to hire the next guy after Jim Bayheim. I, I, this is actually what I wrote. Unless you think Bayheim's coach until he's 76 years old, then they're going to have to hire, you know, in the middle of all of this mess, scholarship reductions, probation. Like, how ideal is that? And now we know definitively they are going to have to hire in the middle yeah. of, of all of this mess. And that, before it was just like they might have to. Now it's they are definitely going to have to hire in the middle of probation and with scholarship reductions. So who is going to rep- – who wants to – Mike Hopkins wants to. So if you want Mike Hopkins yeah. and the new ADs down with that, then fine, do that. But if the new athletic director says we're not keeping people from the Bayheim regime because we've tried to break ties and we're moving on completely, then you got to make a hire in the middle of a time frame when you are A, on probation, and B, facing scholarship reductions. So you're asking – Shaka Smart, or even forget Shaka yeah. Smart. Anybody Shaka. like Shaka Smart? Ridiculous. To, no chance. I'm like I usually don't speak in absolutes because uh, you can get caught in corners doing that. Zero percent chance they yeah. could hire an A-list candidate to go take that job under those circumstances. And so I think even yeah. even without the sanctions, I don't think that that was a that was a possibility. Right. Like that is not a great. That's just not a great job. Period. Being up in the middle of middle of uh, New York State. In the cold, in a non-fertile recruiting ground, that's not a great job. Like, Bayheim has built that job from the ground up. Sure. That's what's made it such a legendary program. It's not this great job that is going to be able to sustain success for sure once he goes. They might. They might be able to knock, knock out a home run higher and absolutely drill it. But that makes me think that the fact that there are all these factors at play, uh, the the sanctions, the everything, replacing the legend. That makes me think that Hopkins might actually be kind of safe here because they might just want to let Hopkins try and take over for about three years. See how it goes for three years. And if Hopkins is going well, he's going well. And that's great. But if he's not, then you can get rid of him at the end of the sanctions and your job's a lot more attractive at that point. Yeah, and either way, like uh, I... 
I can see both sides of this, like a new athletic director wanting to say we're going to, you know, we're not going to commit to Mike Hopkins because we don't know if we want to commit to the old regime. On the other hand, if you if you don't commit to somebody and you have a three-year period of uncertainty, like that's an awful, awful difficult situation to try to to recruit to. I mean, at least that's, it, that's a legitimate program. I don't think it's a killer, but that's a program it's a very difficult thing to deal with. Right. In program. So it's going to absolutely put it into turmoil. Yeah. So the, the, the new athletic director has to decide one of two things. Well, first off, a new athletic director come, could come in and theoretically fire Jim Beheim. I mean, like, so there's that. But uh, that'd be kind of funny. Just yeah. To see Beheim's reaction. You're right. Uh, but, but, but let's, let's assume that's off the table. If you're a new athletic director and you, you have to weigh these two things, committing to the previous regime that operated outside of the NCAA rules for more than a de- for about a decade. Or creating this, or, or or creating this open-ended uncertainty because you can't possibly go look for your next coach for three years. So, like, I, I, if you have to weigh those two things against each other, like the best thing for your athletic department is probably just to commit the Mike Hopkins, even if even if it's not what you'd rather do under in a, in a vacuum. It, it might be the best thing to do because of, the uncertainty is just a killer. It's yeah. it, when you know. It, the uncertainty is is something that could really cripple recruiting for, for at the very least the next three years. Let's move on, Matt Norlander. Hey, that BYU Ole Miss game was something last night, right? Hey, man, that was a great game, and it, it really does was. you know to uh, to everyone listening, they're probably like get to the tournament. But hey, the Bayham stuff is huge, and we had to start with it. But listen, the first four, I don't like it at all. I wish it was sixty four. If I had one wish in all of college basketball, it would be to permanently have the tournament at sixty four. But I will say the first four has gotten. Really good games almost every single year since this thing started, um, and that was a fantastic one. I thought BYU would win convincingly. I I, I tweeted that Ole Miss's resume was vomit worthy on Selection Sunday. That was sweet. Nothing against Andy Kennedy. I know that's uh, one of GP's boys right there, but that to me, Ole Miss wasn't an inspiring candidate. And uh, while their offense can be fun and reckless. Uh, this is a more entertaining team on the whole than actually when they had Marshall Henderson last year. Um, I didn't think they deserved to be in the tournament. Obviously, they're good enough to win a game. Some people, Obama has uh, had BYU actually over uh, Xavier. and But before that, his bracket's out and it's up on the side if you want to go look at it. The actual, like his chicken scratch. Pretty good penmanship. But he took originally Old Miss over Xavier and then he, he scratched that out and he went with BYU. So um, I'm waiting for Chris Mack's response to uh, to someone asking him the fact that Obama didn't give his team a chance regardless of opponent. Great game. Um, I'm not like thrilled with the fact that they have such a quick turnaround. I know they're young kids and whatever, but to me it's kind of weird that they end the game practically at midnight and then they have a, an afternoon tip in Jacksonville on Thursday. I think that'll be interesting, by the way. Um, Xavier's a, a pretty solid team. I like Xavier to win that game, but I'm just glad the first four gave us at least – one decent game um, for those that are squeezing in this podcast before we get to Wednesday night's games in Dayton. Um, I can't wait to see what Dayton is like with Dayton there. I mean, it's, it's obviously a really good venue for, uh, for that event. GP, you've written about that in the past that Dayton really deserves to, to have this in perpetuity. Um, and then Andy tool against North Florida, both coaches are kind of embraceable guys. I hope we get at least one, you know, watchable game tonight. Um, because last night, obviously we went one for two with Hampton out of nowhere. I mean, no one had Hampton beating Steve Mazziello in Manhattan and hoping for that uh, reunion meeting with Kentucky. And, and so it goes. The uh, 
the Hampton, the ends, as I like to call them, Hampton uh, gets to move on and play Kentucky on Thursday and get beat by approximately 300 points. I know, right? Like, it's sort of a <laughs> – I, I can actually appreciate the Hampton coach, like, uh, sort of playing along with everybody Dude, else. you got to. Like, you have – like, if you're a 16 seed and you want to get noticed and you want to have people talk about you, like, pull out a phone and start talking to Jesus, man. Because right. that's the only way yeah. we're going to start paying attention to you is if you play into this underdog, cheeky, fun little role. Yeah, you have to just sort of appreciate it for what it is. And this is, honest to God, the reason <laughs> – and I hate the first four taking 16s and putting them against 16s because I know, like our friend David Warlock, who's like terrific. He's an awesome guy and he's great at his job. Tremendous but, at his job. Yes, and I love him to pieces. Uh, but, you know, the, he got he was going back and forth with us on Twitter a couple weeks ago about how, you know, the, the first four, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a real tournament experience. No, it's not. Because let's just say Hampton lost last night. What they miss is this. They miss all this. Like, there is something cool about being a, a coach from the MEAC and you get to go coach against the SEC champions, against Kentucky, against – like, it's you against John Calipari. It's your kids against Willie Cauley-Stein and Carl Anthony Towns. And I don't care if you lose by 50. That is something – if you have a 25-year 25 uh, year reunion – the Manhattan team ain't going to ain't gonna be – 25 years from now, the Manhattan team ain't going to be talking about, remember when we went to the NCAA tournament back in 2015 and got to play Hampton in Dayton on a Tuesday night? That's not the memory. The memory is getting, is getting to have all these moments and then honestly getting your ass beaten by Kentucky. Like that's part of it. And so you can just miss me with all the – it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. The Hampton kids get to enjoy something because they upset Manhattan last night. Uh, the Manhattan kids will never get that. So for the longest time, we had a scenario where if you won your automatic bid, no matter what, you were going to be in the main bracket and you were going to get a true tournament experience. You can, you'll never be able to convince me, never ever in a million years, because it's untrue, uh, that, that the teams in the first four get the quote, true tournament experience. They do not. But these Hampton kids now get it. The Hampton coach now gets it. And um, and they've embraced it for the way the way that they ought to. They've embraced it perfectly. They have no chance. I know that it's like, hey, believe in miracles. And every once in a while you'll hear a kid go, you know, we, hey, we're going to go out and play our best. And if we play our best, anything's possible. No, it's not. If you play your best, you'll still lose by 15, right? If you play your absolute best, you're still going to lose by 15. So to embrace it for what it is. It, it, create all these memories over the next, uh, you know, 24, 36 hours. And, and, and. And, you know, have these things that you'll be talking about for the rest of your, your lives. That, to me, is the true tournament experience of a 16 seed. And, and uh, it was fun last night watching the postgame with those Hampton kids. And I'm sure it'll be fun, you know, when they get the pregame interview sessions um, heading into the, the situation with, with Kentucky, which I think I saw the point spread earlier. 33, 33 maybe? Is it right? You know, we have, to, uh, we have to make picks against the spread. And last night I sent off all of my... My Thursday ones, and uh, and the <laughs> and I said I don't care what the spread is. I'm taking Kentucky. I actually 33 is a huge number. Still I mean, taking I Kentucky. Yeah, why would you not lay 33? Like if the other team's not going to be able it's to such score. A massive, I mean, 33 points is ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I, I I think I'll stick with that. That's I, I honestly got believe this. If you're John Calipari and you said, okay, we're just going to play a game today. For the first half, we're going to try to hold them to single digits. And guys, you all get. 
you all get $100,000 cash. Like you really motivate them, right? You all get $100,000. I'm not implying John Calvary's offering $100,000 cash to a player. <laughs> I love where you're going. This is it. not going well no, for you. What I mean is that like, if the players were truly motivated to try yeah, to yeah. hold Hampton yeah. to single digits, could they do it in the first 20 minutes? Ah. Uh. I think they absolutely yeah, could. They held UCLA to single digits. <laughs> right. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Absolutely. They, I, absolutely. No, like, I think they could. So, like, to the extent that they will or will not beat Hampton by 33, it's just a matter of if they want to or not. Like, if they, if, if they want to beat them yeah. by 45, they can beat them by 45. I mean, it's 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 a, just a different level of everything. What? Okay, so we are now, I don't know, about – about 48 hours away from the, the main bracket uh, starting. We talked about all of this late Sunday night. We were all sleep, uh, you know, suffering from sleep deprivation at that point. Anything? You're still RGP. RGP. We are 24 hours away. Oh, God. Yeah. What is today? Is it Wednesday? It is Wednesday, it's Wednesday, it is Wednesday, man. Wednesday. You know what has happened to me? This, is, this has happened the past couple of, of weeks. I, like, for the past two and a half months, like, since the first week in January, I would fly to New York every Monday. That was the, the so every t- the first day I would wake up in New York every week would be Tuesday, and then the past two weeks I've flown to New York on Tuesday as opposed to Monday. But today, this morning was still the first day of the week that I woke up in New York, and it so I'm so used to that day being Tuesday, I still feel like it's Tuesday. I knew where you were going. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. It's Wednesday. Who knew? So what? So what are we leading into? What are you asking us? Anything change? Like, have you seen anything in the bracket? Because honestly, the, you know, Sunday night we're all looking at it, and it's just like you're blurry eyed, and and you, you you don't really, I don't know. At least with me, I woke up the right. next day and looked at the bracket, and I saw things I didn't notice the day before. Anything that's uh, pops out to you that's interesting about the bracket after having some time, you know, a few days to actually digest it. Um, Damn, yeah, I'll, I'll hop in. Uh, I think that the East. The more I look at the East, the more I think it's the strongest region. Because I really wouldn't be surprised if any of the top seven seeds went to the Final Four out of that region. That includes Michigan State. Michigan State's playing really well. They've taken Wisconsin down to the wire twice now in their last 11 games. And outside of that, they've only lost an overtime decision to Minnesota on the road, I want to say. Or maybe that was at home. But uh, they're playing really well. Uh, Oklahoma's got one of the five best defenses in the country. Virginia has one of the five best defenses in the country. Villanova's, we know how good Villanova is. Northern Iowa's this like sleeping mid-major giant that could go ahead and honestly get to the Final Four and it wouldn't be a surprise. You have Rick Pitino. You have the one-two punch of Chris Dunn and Dante Henton. Like, that's, a, that's a terrific, terrific bracket the more I keep looking at it. And uh, I, I don't know what the heck is going to happen there, and I'm kind of concerned about my Virginia pick. I actually agree with that, Norlander. Do you like? I, I, I do. Think, I think the Midwest is honestly, it's Kentucky, right? I mean, we'd be shocked if anybody out came out of that outside of the Kentucky. I think that's the weakest. Region. I'm basically uh, my hope in the Midwest here is that it would be great, uh, and I'll be in Cleveland. It'd be awesome if somehow Wichita State made the Elite Eight and got a rematch. I don't think they'd give much of a game, but it'd be cool to build up. But my hope is that Notre Dame plays Kentucky, and they go wild, and it's interesting with five minutes to go in the second half. Right. But otherwise, it's Kentucky. Yeah. I guess here's my point, uh, and I'm with Sam on this. Midwest, I'd, I'd genuinely be shocked if it were anybody other than Kentucky. The West... I think I'd probably be really surprised if it were anybody other than Wisconsin or Arizona. Like if it's like Baylor, uh, like who else? Who else out uh, of there? Baylor. I think Baylor is going to give Arizona problems. The more I keep looking at it, 
I guess North, because, Car- North Carolina is still North Carolina. On some yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. No, Baylor I, zone is going to give Arizona all kind of problems because they run that high. They're so based on the high screen with TJ McConnell to get into their offense that Baylor zone is going to take them out of that. Now the question is if Baylor can mount enough offense because Arizona is the best defensive rebounding team in the country for Ken Palm, but that's going to be a really interesting matchup that I think Arizona can lose. But Here, then you have Wisconsin, so it doesn't really right. Here's who my knows. Qu- okay, here'd be my question. I give I take Wisconsin, Arizona. I give you everybody else in the West, and I give you two to one odds. Mm, so yeah. I, I put up a thousand to win your five hundred, and all I need is Wisconsin, Arizona. You get everybody else. You willing to do that? I'm not. Sam, you want to do I'm it? I'm not either. I would say no. Then hey. Then stop arguing with me. Then take your high screen talk and get at it. <laughs> then, then take your high screen and shove them, shove them up your behind. Think, I think they're like probably two thirds. Like okay. I, I would say, like sixty-seven percent. One of those two get in, and then thirty-three percent the other. Like we, any okay. of the other fourteen. Okay, so then we go to the South. Uh, Duke, I think, is the fa- clearly the favorite there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Gonzaga, and I just wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's Iowa State. But outside of that, I right. I'd be surprised if it's anybody else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and then we go back up to the East to wrap this back around to Sam's point. Uh, Villanova, clearly, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Virginia shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, Oklahoma, I don't think, would surprise me. Oklahoma. Elite defense. They, Anytime yes. you have a top five defense in the country, you can go to the Final Four. Yeah, you have top five defense and a dude named Buddy. Like that's good and enough. And a dude named Buddy. <laughs> in fact, that's, that's the, that should be, their, that should be their, their motto. Top five defense and a dude named Buddy. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> yeah, but I think that one probably is the most wide open. Sam, I'm, I, I agree with you. I, I, that is a that's going to be a fun one. Um, yeah. I, oh, I, you know who I, else? Like Providence. Providence. I, Providence wouldn't surprise me. They, 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 I got them in the elite eight, man. I got the Providence. more I look at Providence's draw, I think that it kind of sucks. Yeah, I don't because like. they, have, they have all these pack line teams. They have Dayton. They have Virginia. They have Northern Iowa, and then they have Villanova, who they've struggled against because of that like high blitzing uh, pick and roll defense that they do. So they've played Villanova as well as anyone this year, but they still lost, I think, three times. So I don't like that draw for Providence. I think they probably got the worst possible draw they could. A couple of coaching things that have happened since last time we spoke. I think the most significant ones are um, that UNLV is going to keep Dave Rice for at least another year. Georgia Tech going to keep Brian Gregory Gregory for at least another year. When we talked on Sunday night – I mentioned a couple of things. A, that the Charlotte job was open and it was almost certainly going to be Will Wade's if he wanted it. Well, like Will Wade is scheduled to talk with them tomorrow. So here we are. Just a matter of if he wants that job or not. And uh, the money is is significantly better at Charlotte is my understanding. And so that could be uh, the determining factor there. Speaking of money, um, I, that, that's the primary reason Georgia Tech is keeping Brian Gregory is my understanding. Like, I, I think you can rationalize it if you want to rationalize it. Like, um, hey, you know, they lost so many close games and they bring most of their team back. And if, you know, a couple of these bounces went the other way, the ACC record would have been a lot better and so on and so forth. But the truth is, um, they, they, I don't believe the administration wanted to be still paying Paul Hewitt next year and then Paul paying Brian Gregory and then also uh, paying a new basketball coach. Like, had they removed Brian, they would have literally been paying three men's basketball coaches in the next fiscal year, which is never ideal. I'm not saying that's the only reason they kept him, um, but um, it was certainly a factor. And then at UNLV, um, I was a little surprised by that one, honestly. Happy for Dave. He's a nice enough guy. 
I, I know, you know, some guys on that staff. I'm, I'm not a big, you know, I never root for people to lose their jobs. I think it would yeah. be weird for like if people yeah. were out there publicly rooting for me to lose my job. Like that would be just just a weird thing. Like these are real people. You know, they they make they have nice jobs and and we see them on television a lot. But they're they're all real people with real families. So I never root for that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I was a little surprised, honestly, because for two reasons: a, I was hearing that it might go the other way, and, and b. Um, I'm always interested in this, like when the local newspapers start weighing in in certain directions, because typically um, they have sources within athletic departments that are swaying them certain. And so like the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had a column like right after Georgia Tech lost in the ACC tournament. I don't know if you guys saw this. Did you see this? Mm -hmm. Um, There was a column and it was the columnist explaining in great detail why it might make sense to bring Brian Gregory back. And it was like, you have to understand, you know, a lot of games went this way and they bring back this. And beyond that, like there's a money factor. And I was like, oh, they might end up keeping Brian Gregory because like that column didn't come from nowhere. And meantime, there was um, a column in the Vegas newspaper basically detailing if you don't believe Dave Rice is the guy for the future, you don't give him another year just to give him another year. Like if you don't believe in that, you got to pull the trigger now. And I was like, that's, you know, that seems to be coming from somebody in the athletic department. And so um, to, to then see them, you know, recommit to Dave, at least temporarily, I was a little, um, I was a little surprised, if only because I had heard that it might be going the other uh, direction. You guys surprised by either one of those, Brian Gregory, Dave Rice, both coming back to Georgia Tech and UNLV. Norlander, I'll start with you. Yeah. Um, UNLV to a certain extent, Yes. Gregory, not as much. Georgia Tech's in. I mean, to me, Georgia Tech is in a. Uh, it's just in a vortex that can't escape because you mentioned the coaching deal and paying off all these, and they'd have to be paying three coaches. You can't put yourself in that situation. Uh, but Brian Gregory and Georgia Tech, see, it's it's a near impossible win situation for that program and him right now because uh, just no faith uh, toward the fan base. Um, it's almost like next year will be a wasted year, but you kind of just got to go through the motions. If he does have a run to the tournament, okay, you have one good year, but then if the next year he either barely makes the tournament or fails again, like he's going to be fired anyway. They're going to, you can't really, you can't, it, to me with Gregory, it's a situation where you can't really get out of it ever. Okay. I don't foresee a future with Georgia tech and Gregory where, Georgia Tech is a top six ACC team over the next six years, and they want to keep them. So to me, it's delaying the inevitable. And that can sometimes be a good thing if you delay the inevitable and you get a better candidate down the road. The question is, you know, if one year from now the Bees haven't made the tournament and Gregory does lose his job, which will happen if that if it goes that way, um, are they going to have the candidate that they would want and someone who would want to go there? I don't know. To me, they're, they're kind of stuck in a, in a bad situation. And with UNLV, Sam? Um, I don't. I don't really get it (laughs) um i I mean they that team's underperformed to its talent level for four straight years maybe three but i mean they lost i want to say they lost in the first or second round on that 2012 team that went like 25 and 8 in the first in the uh regular season uh so yeah they've they've underperformed for a long time he's a really good recruiter they get kids in there but you know everyone around that program everyone that's been around it like the, the phrase that's typically used is dave rice just rolls the ball out on the floor and says go like like he doesn't really do any offensive sets and i have no idea how true that is i've never been around the program to really be able to 
confirm that myself, but that's what everyone says around it. And, you know, if that's the case and the success isn't really, isn't really jiving with your talent level, like that's a team that's had now, they had two first round, potential first round picks this year in Rashad Vaughn and Chris Wood. Uh, they, they had a few other really strong recruits. They had a good point guard come in from San Francisco and Cody Doolin. Uh, it's, it's just hard for me to understand why you would keep him, especially because, like I said, I've, I've looked, out the, looked up the buyout before, and I know that UNLV doesn't have a ton of money, but a buyout's not a lot. Like, even though he just got the extension, I'm pretty sure it's a little bit under $2 million. So I, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, like, um, when you have, like, we can make this very simple. When you have two pros, you shouldn't have a losing record in the Mountain West Conference, like, period, no, in the story. No, it's, it's like what UCLA had this year. UCLA had two pros and a pretty fundamentally flawed roster that didn't have a lot of depth. They still found a way to get through it and make the NCAA tournament. What was a stronger conference than the right. Mountain West? Right. No, that, that, that is undeniable. I will say, uh, before we wrap this up, that um, uh, to the point that I was making about when coaches are you know, in a situation where it could go either direction, like they might keep him, they might remove him, like we'll see. I'm always interested in, in the local columns because um, – Typically, those guys, those guys who write those columns, like they have sources within the athletic department, and sometimes they'll go which direction they start writing uh, might might jibe with with how their sources are thinking. To that point, um, there was an interesting column by Chip Brown, who's really connected to the Texas program. I think posted yesterday that explained all the reasons it might be better off for Texas to not have Rick Barnes going forward. You know, they got a new arena plan in place. They need um, uh, money raised to, to fund it. The new athletic director ha- director has to pick a, uh, a site on campus for the new arena like within the next few months. And I, I don't know, it was just like a 1,500-word column about why it, might, why it makes sense for Texas to, one way or another, move in another direction after this season and have a new coach that people can rally around and, and a new coach that will, uh, I, I don't know, create a, a scenario where folks are enthusiastic about donating to the basketball program. And I, I just found that interesting because, you know, nobody's more tied into that athletic department, not just the coaching staffs or whatever, but I mean the athletic department in general uh, than Chip. And when he is floating you know, columns about why it makes sense to text for Texas to move on. It, it makes me think that one way or another, almost regardless of what happens in this NCAA tournament, I'm starting to feel more and more like um, Rick Barnes won't be the coach at Texas next year. I, I don't think he'll be fired, but like, you know, there's some thought out there that, oh, if he wins some games, then he could save his job. What if he wins some games and then, and then it's time to go out on a high note? Loses some games yeah. and it's time to just let somebody else do the job. I'm going to retire and we'll name it Rick Barnes Court. I, I just think if I were a betting man, and by the way, I am a betting man. Uh, I would, uh, I might bet at this point that that one way or another, uh, somebody else is coaching Texas next year, almost yeah. regardless of what happens yeah. in the NCAA tournament. And there, and then there, you know, let's then we start knocking the dominoes. That's, you know, yeah. That's, uh, that's oh, if top. it's up to me, see, honestly, see, Rick Barnes stays coach at Texas forever because it means we don't have to do the Texas search and whatever <laughs> search comes after the Texas search. Right. So, so here's my question. I mean, Texas is obviously one of the 10 best jobs in the country. So you have your pick of basically anyone that you want outside of, you know, maybe Shashesky obviously right. is not going to go. But, guy, right. Yeah. So who, who is the pick? Who's the guy that you go after? What's too high? 
Is Sean like somebody like Sean Miller? Is that too high? I don't know. Like I really I don't, don't know. So. I, I don't know if that's it. too high. See, with Texas, it, it's very much, you know, you know, uh, ambassador type of gig. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, there is the Longhorn Network. You got to have the right kind of guy. Like combination of of and it's it's not nearly at the level of of what you need when you hire a football coach but it's the same kind of deal like you got to have a guy who can flat out freaking coach obviously but you need a guy that can also understand that you're more than just the texas basketball coach i mean it is a high prominent job um you got to have a good face of the program so i'm not sure uh it will be very interesting i would you know have to think shaka would get a look a heavy look i know greg marshall would obviously want to have that kind of job sean miller is an interesting interesting name to toss out there and i don't know if that's too high to be honest um i'm i'm very intrigued um and that's gonna be i mean if and when that comes down i mean i'm just looking ahead i mean that's the week of the final four probably maybe a little before that's just it's, it will be something that t- takes over the news cycle and, um, and, and certainly will be, you know, uh, point one B in the, in the news to, you know, Kentucky if it's still alive or the final four teams that are happening. I, I imagine that on some level, since every other school shoots high, like I imagine Texas would probably shoot high as well. So, like, yeah. but let's just assume that Sean Miller's and the Billy Donovan's and people like that are, are off the table. And let me be clear. I'm not saying they are like, they Tex- might not. Yeah. I mean, Te- Texas yeah. is considered in the coaching industry, you know, right up there on the short list of best jobs in America. Like people will tell you North Carolina, uh, Texas, Kentucky, Kansas, like it, 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 Texas is in that group. When you talk to coaches for a million reasons, we've been over before. So I'm not sure that a Sean Miller wouldn't, wouldn't at least be interested by the idea of it or a Billy Donovan wouldn't at least be interested by the idea of it. But let's just say the top tier, guys like that are already off the table and by top tier guys i mean top tier guys who are already at really good programs um then like let the secondary like it's shaka smart greg marshall i'll just say this um i think you could get either one of those guys i think i think so i think you know if you want greg marshall you could at texas you could have greg marshall and if you want shaka smart at texas i think you could have shaka smart those guys have been very patient but make a run at tony bennett I that could, I don't know if you could get. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if you're going to make a, if you if you're interested in Sean well, Miller, Billy Donovan, then, then Tony Bennett should, can be on that list as well. I, I just think I, I I'm yeah. When when other jo- like Alabama's open right now, and so like I had some Alabama fans like tweet at me, great story on Greg Marshall. He's my number one choice for Alabama. I'm like, if you read my story on Greg Marshall, you know that he ain't going to Alabama. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> like, 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 I, he made it pretty clear. It's clear he's ever made it. What type of job he'll leave for, if he leaves at all, and it ain't the Alabama job. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm usually pretty definitive about no Alabama. You're not trying to hire. Uh, you, know, you, you shouldn't waste your time with Greg Marshall unless you're just going to like put five million dollars on the table and convince him like with that. But short of that, no, you don't need to mess around with Greg Marshall. Um, but with Texas, I honestly wouldn't take anybody off the table. It's that kind of job. It can get anybody to, to at least look at them, I think. And so, um, if we get to that point, we will discuss it, uh, at length. Uh, but right now, uh, let's move on. Cause I know we all got busy days ahead of us. Remember you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. So make sure to go do that. And either way, we will talk again. I guess we'll do it on Friday morning. We'll talk again on Friday morning. Take care.